the HD Movie Podcast may contain mature content, strong language and spoilers. Hello and welcome to episode 73 of the HD Movie Podcast. I'm Darren Gaskell. And I'm Hayley Alice Roberts. And in today's episode, we continue on with our Summer of Sharks miniseries. We're looking at 2003's Open Water, directed and written by Chris Kentis. So this week we wade back into the treacherous oceanic waters in the latest Summer of Sharks movie. This is a movie that I hadn't seen for quite a while and wasn't a big fan of it on its original release. It did get a lot of publicity when it came out. I think it was a massive hit at Sundance and when I actually came to watch it, it didn't really hit the spot for me. Anyway. Let's see what happens this time. It's Open Water, which is written and directed by Chris Kentis. It stars Blanchard Ryan and Daniel Travis. And it must also be noted that Open Water is based on true events that took place in Australia back in 1998. However, the film Open Water, I'm going to tell you all about it now with the help of my good friend, the IMDb synopsisizer legend Nick Reganis. The young 30-something couple of Dan and Susan decide to go on holiday to the Caribbean. Of the many exciting activities available, the happy holidaymakers choose scuba diving off a reef several miles out. However, due to a miscount, they will soon find themselves left behind in the cold, vast sea. Now, as they drift endlessly for hours, the extreme dehydration, severe saltwater sickness and the nasty jellyfish stings will be the least of Dan and Susan's worries as fleeting sightings of what can only be a shark can only mean one thing. If the search crew doesn't find them first, the couple will become the unstoppable predator's next meal. Can they survive the wild open ocean? Again, a fine synopsis from Nick there. And to be honest, I think I probably gave it a little bit too much stick when I first saw this movie. I think probably because the expectations were so high. And everywhere I read about this movie, it was like, this is probably the best shark movie you're ever going to see. And I was thinking, well, it won't be better than Jaws, but it might be up there. And I don't know probably what I was expecting, but I got this kind of shot on digital video indie production, which generally, I mean, I liked all of that sort of stuff back then. But for some reason, it didn't really land with me at the time. I think it was the bickering couple. I think that... It seemed to take a long time to get going, but having watched it again, it doesn't take a long time to get going. I think there's something weird about this. If I'd have been reviewing it at the time, I think I'd have watched it 
two or three times to try and make sure that it didn't land. I think I just probably watched it, didn't like it, took against it a little bit. There are things in the movie that I still think are problematic, but overall, I think it actually works pretty well. It builds up the tension. And it does have a Jaws reference, because the main two characters are called Susan Watkins and Daniel Kintner. Now, Watkins is Chrissy Watkins, who is the girl who is killed first in Jaws. And of course, Kintner, it's the Kintner boy who gets savagely attacked in the mid-section of Jaws. And his mum takes offence to Roy Scheider and gives him a good slap for good measure. So... There is a little bit of a nod to the most classic shark movie of all time, which is quite fun without hitting you over the head with it. Yeah, this isn't a bad little movie. It zips along. It's pretty good in building up the suspense. It doesn't really hang about in the first act. They're on the boat within about 15 minutes and they're stranded within about 25. And the movie comes in at under 80 minutes. So... It's pretty much done and dusted in well under the hour and a half that most of these movies should run for. So, I don't know, go figure. I I must have really not liked something the first time I saw this and had pushed it to the back of a load of shark movies. And it's only when I've come to watch it recently that I thought, yeah, I was pretty unfair on this one the first time out. I think we both surprised ourselves this time around. So for me, this was my second viewing. I'd originally seen this back in the mid-2000s as a sleepover, and I remember there was quite a few people. So I'm guessing the reason this film was chosen to watch was because it was probably quite popular at the time and had a buzz about it. But again, I don't think, because we were in a context where there was a group of people, we weren't giving it our full attention. We were a lot younger in our teens probably giggling at some of it but again all I can remember really disliking about it is the same thing as you Darren which was the the bickering couple and when we started discussing our summer of sharks lineup this year when open water was thrown in there as an option that's the first thing that came to my mind do I want to sit through this putting up with um, this annoying couple but this film, again, is much shorter than I remember it being. And I had no recollection of it being this sort of micro-budget indie film either. So that was really interesting. But I had a lot more appreciation for it this time. It's intense, but it gets to the point. It doesn't you know, hang about, as you say. And I got a lot more out of it with the passage of time, I suppose. The scenario is absolutely terrifying. And... Hope continually slips away from the couple and it is quite heartbreaking and especially now when you put it into the context that it is based on true events and the couple who it is based on they were never found and that is horrifying when you think that you know they're on this um, paid for excursion and how you know human error could cause this much tragedy it, it's really quite sad I think there's not a huge amount of character development in this. It's basically they bicker because she's got quite a demanding job and he's um, you know, fed up of having to cancel plans constantly and run his life around her job. And that is the main conflict between the two. But I guess it was trying to um, depict, you know, everyday problems, real life kind of characters. And it definitely felt more intimate on this viewing because the way it's shot, it doesn't feel like, I'm not saying like 
a professional film but I'm thinking like you know a big budget Hollywood movie it's not that quality so it kind of gives you this feeling of realism and authenticity and I'd even go as far as saying this could be the Blair Witch or the paranormal activity of the shark movie genre. Yeah Blair Witch did come to mind when I was watching this again because it's shot in kind of the same way it's grainy it's not a glossy movie but it doesn't need to be a glossy movie you get that kind of shot on digital video fuzz surrounding everything in the movie and it's almost like somebody's um holiday video the first kind of 10 minutes of it because they they go into the place they're in the car they're in the hotel it kind of it has that sort of extra sense of realism and i think what scores heavily in its favour is that between Open Water's release and now, there have been so many ludicrous, terrible, shot on sort of sellotape, basically shark movies, which have been just so dreadful to sit through that when you come back to this, it actually does strike you that this is quite a well-made movie. And you're right, the characters are not particularly deep or well-drawn but you're given enough information to care about them. So when they do get plunged into this horrible ordeal after about 25 minutes, then you are with them every step of the way and things just get worse and worse and worse. Considering it goes for about 50 minutes where they're just stuck, it does manage to keep the interest going. There's not many flat spots where they're just kind of floating around doing nothing. There's usually some sort of new threat to them. So you don't get it, pardon the pun, treading water a lot (laughs) in terms of the plot. What I will say about it, and I think this has been put on record as to them including it for a particular reason. There is the most gratuitous bit of nudity after about 10 minutes in this movie where Blanchard Ryan is just sprawled out on the bed. And I know it's kind of a naturalistic thing because it's a couple in the hotel room. But my issue with it is that it's just crowbarred in there. They could have had any other scene. Could have been in a bar. They could have just been wandering around the room. But no, no, she's she's on the bed. She's got no clothes on whatsoever. But the guy, he's kind of naked as well. But you don't see him. Now, I know that the MPAA has got a problem with male nudity and that would have landed it in all sorts of trouble. But at the same time, why are they not having equal opportunities nudity? It's like, yeah, we can stick the woman on the bed naked, but oh God, no, let's let's not see the guy's dick. That would be the end of civilization as we know it. So, And it does feel like that it's something that they've thrown in just to keep the interest in the first 10 minutes while they're building up this kind of fairly ordinary sort of holiday break that they're taking. And I'm pretty sure that they said that's why they put it in. It was to keep the interest going. I don't think they need it there because if you look at some of the other stuff that's in the same genre, you can have stuff that's not happening for 35, 40 minutes, whereas this is just setting the scene for the first 10 minutes. So I think if gratuitous nudity is your bag, you know, dive in, it's here. But that was the thing I remembered about this. It was kind of the fact that they were bickering, but also I thought, yeah, there's a really weird bit of nudity about 10 minutes in. And I actually thought, oh, well, here it comes. Yeah, yeah, it's exactly how I remembered it. And I still think it's weird, even now. It's not offensive in any way, but it just seems that it doesn't belong. 
Yeah, it kind of catches you off guard. I mean, I was in two minds about it because I thought, yes, they're trying to depict this naturalistic situation. As you say, it's just a couple on holiday. You know, they're going to be being comfortable around each other in the nude. But yeah, there's no equal opportunity there with the nudity because we get the bed sheet covering the gentleman's uh, private area. <laughs> but I'm guessing the reason for this, it was 2003. We're talking nearly 20 years ago. And I don't think films were as liberal then and maybe it's a case of women were more objectified in horror specifically and that's always a given but i did find a fact about this nude scene so i'm just going to read this from imdb in 2013 star blanchard ryan discussed her full nude scene in a podcast interview including seeing it with her parents she felt the scene was a gratuitous move but agreed it was necessary because the beginning of the movie was boring and they needed something to wake people up <laughs> Well, it sure does, because it, it just literally comes out of left field. When she saw it with her parents at a screening, they both had different reactions. Her father took it in his stride because he comes from a sports background, but has the locker room mentality about nudity. Her mum was horrified about seeing her little girl naked on screen. Ryan said that she and her father laughed about it because her mum was more worried about Ryan taking her clothes off in front of the world than her being in danger of swimming with real sharks. <laughs> now that brings us on to the next point about this movie. So instead of going down the Jaws route and having the animatronic sharks or using CGI as they did in Deep Blue Sea, which preceded it, they actually hired a professional shark wrangler and they had genuine real-life sharks in this movie and I think that definitely adds to it because even though they're actors and they are being protected they basically had the wrangler feeding the sharks tuna around them so that they were more interested in the tuna and wouldn't go near them but I think that would have added to the authenticity of their performances because they're literally put in that situation. Yeah it heightens the terror and you can tell in a couple of places that they really are not acting they are quite worried about these sharks around them and it does build to a fairly horrible crescendo in terms of numbers of sharks as well, culminating in the fact where you can see her bobbing up and down and, and the camera keeps dipping below the water. And as it dips below the water, you can see more and more sharks every single time it dips below the water. In terms of building up a sense of despair and the hope fading rapidly as she's obviously not going to get rescued spoiler alert i mean the sharks are surrounding them there's nobody on the horizon even though somebody has finally mounted a rescue attempt there's nobody around it is probably one of the most effective sequences in the fact that it's very matter of fact it's very realistic and it's quite horrible and it doesn't go for the gratuitous violence either it doesn't have a lot of gore in it there's a tiny bit of blood but it doesn't show you people being torn limb from limb. And the fact that it dials down the violence makes it even more queasy. There's something about not seeing something happen, which is somehow worse. Yeah, it's their reactions. And you know something is happening, but because we can't see under the water, we don't know whether they've been bitten by a shark, stung by a jellyfish, whether because um, the character of Daniel has a knife on him, um, whether that has stabbed one of them it, it's just such a heart-pounding film in that respect just to experience this with them and you just don't know where it's going to go and you as I say there's the hope slipping away and you kind of want to root for them and hope they survive but given that this is based on true events I think it leaves you quite cold 
by the end in a sobering way because you've seen this whole situation unfold and then it's too late before they can do anything about it and that's that's just quite it's quite depressing and I, and I I think the final moments for the uh, two main characters it is quite heart-wrenching because even though they are a bit annoying you know they don't deserve what happens to them that's so, true yeah 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 they are bickering quite a bit but I mean they're bickering because they're put in a situation that both of them think it's, it's the other's fault at one point they're just reacting probably out of character so there's a bit of shouting at each other and that kind of lands okay i think it's probably better than i thought it was going to be there's still a couple of lines of dialogue where you kind of think yeah you don't need to have said that it does seem that it's just trying to be too on the nose but you do really feel for them in this situation and the fact that it just ramps up and ramps up and ramps up and the fact that occasionally it will cut back to the island where these people have got no idea that they're missing and they're having parties and everything's lovely there and then it'll cut back to them in the middle of nowhere. So it's quite effectively done. And within the budget that they've got, I think it was about $130,000, this movie. 120000 120000 okay. And I mean, yeah, that's a decent amount of money for an indie movie, but I guess that they've used the budget wisely because I think a lot of the budget went on the shark stuff, which is great. And the drama, it works in most places. It's a little bit flat in others. The weird thing I got about the bit where they're left in the water and the boat leaves, there's kind of hints dropped as to why the guy miscounts, but it's never really made particularly clear. There's a guy on the boat who's been a completely annoying knob and he's kind of getting in everybody's way. And it's kind of suggested that he might be the one that's going to be the one that causes the disruption so much that somebody is going to forget and miscount. But he doesn't really seem to be disrupting this when he gets back on the boat. It's just the fact that the guy suddenly has everybody that he thinks he's got. And then he says, right, that's it. And they kind of leave early, I think, as well, because I think at one point one of the characters says we should have been back for 10.30. And then it says 10.25 when they're left on their own. So there's a hint that, that the boat has gone before that they should have been back. So you can come up with various theories about whose fault it is. But I think they don't dwell on that too much anyway. That's not really the thrust of the story. It's the fact that they're out in the middle of nowhere with a lot of bloody great sharks closing in on Yeah, and it has some great underwater scenes as well. I know we touched upon this in Dark Tide when we were um, speaking with Kate, and this one, again, it has some really interesting sea life shots, and it's quite therapeutic i think some of those moments when they're initially diving it's not therapeutic after that it just takes a very intense turn but you kind of prepared for it yeah but again it, it's all very realistic again the pain in the ass guy on the boat you can imagine something like that happening with a group of complete strangers on an excursion you could see there's always going to be one and and that's just, and just how all these inciting incidents all combine together to cause this unfortunate events to take place it's as you say it doesn't play the blame game and i think that's important because it is just human error and as i said at the beginning that is the tragedy of it of the yeah. whole piece yeah absolutely if it had happened on halle berry's boat well it wouldn't have happened on halle berry's boat she'd have been <laughs> on top of all of that she'd have gone right there's two people missing hang on a minute what are we doing here but you have to have something driving the plot and although it takes just the inspiration from the real life event because 
clearly nobody knows what happened to the real life couple and it takes the dramatic intent of the plot in a different direction because it explores what happens to the couple when they're thrown into this situation but i think it's it's a fairly truthful movie in terms of how people react in terrible situations there's that whole thing about you know there's panic there's calm there's denial of the situation then there's acceptance of the situation so it's not a movie that you would watch like a sharknado where you're expecting something funny and entertaining this is quite downbeat but it's no less of a movie for that in fact it works on quite a few levels and i'm gonna have to hold my hands up and say i was totally wrong on the first viewing i don't know what the fuck i was thinking because I think the bickering just got in the way. I think I must have just got annoyed with the couple for that kind of five minutes of bickering and the bit at the start where the guy's been a bit of an arsehole. And I was just thinking, yeah, having watched it another time, I'm thinking, you know, wow, I was way harsh on this movie on the first viewing. It doesn't it doesn't deserve the slapping around that I gave it on the first view because I was I remember talking to people at open water and saying oh yeah have you seen it i was like yeah it was rubbish and they were like oh what really and i was like yeah it was rubbish it isn't rubbish i'm i mean I, god i mean how how can i review movies this is completely off the mark <laughs> yeah it's just one of those things and i think it all depends on where you are at the time and what your mood is and again like i didn't take kindly to it either i remember feeling very bored and i think we had enhanced the bickering scenes in it more than they actually are like they're there yeah but it's nowhere near as bad as i thought it was i thought it was literally people in the water for over an hour just like arguing with each other and of course you know naturally they would argue because they and they would just kind of pass blame between each other if it wasn't for you we wouldn't be in this situation Mm -hmm. and even though they might not mean what they say as such it's just that whole lashing out because of what's going on in in that situation so I think it is very realistic for what they've done with it. It also reminded me of another movie that I can't put my finger on what it was, but I remember we saw it at Sally Lloyd Screams and they get, and it was about a couple and they become stranded in the desert and there was a lot of bickering. Was it Outback? I think so. I think it might have been. Yeah, I think Outback does amp the bickering up to quite tedious levels. You know, I think if you had a double bill of bickering movies, I think with this, because you've got like the water of, of open water, obviously you've got the desert setting of Outback, so you've got different types of environment. I think if you had a double bill of open water and Outback, you'd come out saying, yeah, open water's pretty good. Outback, not so sure, because it really does. I mean, Outback's got its moments, don't get me wrong, but yeah, you're right. That was concentrated bickering at one point in Outback, because I can remember thinking, bloody hell. Are we going to have to sit through an hour and a half of these people? Where it wasn't the same with open water. I think once I'd actually got into the rhythm of open water, even the kind of arguing bits, I was willing to let those slide because it's a really effectively done movie. And considering the resources that they'd got and the fact that they shot it over quite a long period of time, so they had time to knock all the sort of flabby edges off it because there's very very little fat on this movie it doesn't even hit 80 minutes so you can't really get all that bothered with it because it propels itself along pretty well i'm quite willing to hold my hands up and say totally wrong about my original original opinion of open water it is a pretty good movie 
Yeah, likewise. I was surprised how much I enjoyed it. So I'm very much um, pleased that we did include it in the Summer of Shark series. Yeah, as you say, it was shot over two and a half years with a small crew involved. So it was mainly shot on weekends, I'm guessing, you know, when everybody was available. It's kind of nice that it hasn't got big name actors in it as well, because I think that drives the realism much more. As you said, like if you've got Halle Berry going around saving everybody, she's like really tough and that type of thing. It just wouldn't work in the same way. So as we said, it had $120,000 budget. It grossed $1 million on opening weekend and it made a lifetime gross of $55 million. Pretty good. Um, it- yeah, it won some awards also. It won the uh, Best Actress category um, for Blanchard Ryan at the 31st Saturn Awards. And it won Best Thriller at the Golden Trader Awards. It was nominated at um, various other awards as well, um, but it, it didn't win. And as for its legacy, it has spawned two sequels. Open Water 2, Adrift, that was released in 2006. And Open Water 3, Cage Dive, released in 2017 both are unrelated to the original now i am suspicious that cage dive came out around the same time as 47 meters down so that is a bit suspect there that it was just trying to use an existing title to jump on the hype train not seen either sequel um if you have seen them please let us know in the comments if you think they are worth checking out because so they're unrelated to the original but you know obviously we love a good shark movie here so if they're worth seeing let us know yeah so in terms of what other people thought of it, I mean, we obviously are quite big fans of the movie now. So how about Rotten Tomatoes, IMDb? What's the uh, straight dope on the scores there? Okay, it's done quite well with critics. 71% tomato meter, 33% audience score, and it's got a 5.8 out of 10 on IMDb. I think I would give it higher on IMDb, if I'm honest. I'd give it a 7 out of 10. Yeah, I think probably people are going to be split into two camps about this they're going to think it's too slow which is a weird thing but i think they're going to think that the lack of shark action straight up front is going to put people off and the fact that it's a bit of a slow burn to start with i think people are gonna either latch onto that and go with it or get frustrated and think where are the sharks the whole point is like the sharks are coming but you don't want them in the first 20 minutes because it's kind of building up to the fact that the sharks are closing in you just don't know when it's that sort of movie and i can see why people love it and i can see why people don't love it as much because it's of its type it's very indie it's not got that sheen of a big budget shark movie it doesn't have the named actors in there to kind of put you off or pull you in but i think that works as you said the fact that you've got actors that you haven't really seen before adds to the realism. I think if you've got a big name actor in either of the lead roles, it's just going to put you off. So if it was somebody like, for instance, yeah, like Halle Berry, if she was the female lead in this, it does kind of take you out of it a little bit where you're thinking, well, she's supposed to be this businesswoman who's quite ordinary and is just going for a break. But also you're thinking, but that's Halle Berry as well. And she's got all this star baggage that comes with her. So, the fact that you've got less well-known actors in less showy roles is a good thing. Blanchard Ryan, perfectly serviceable performance. In fact, more than serviceable, really good and deserved that win because she does drive the plot along and most of the emotional work in the plot is lifted by her. A co-star, 
he's okay, but he doesn't really get a lot to do other than get sort of slightly angry. So it's again, it's a it's a female lead that's taking most of the plot work, which is absolutely fine as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, and it seems he's meant to be the one that's more knowledgeable, especially about scuba diving. Yeah. He's the one that she's relying on. And then, spoiler alert, the fact that he goes first, I think that's quite impactful because she's stranded there on her own now and she's going to have to fight for survival. But she kind of just gives up, which is, it's it's devastating. It's like, what's, what's the alternative? You get mauled by sharks or drowned to death it's it's a very morbid um film by the end of it it is yeah and it's got quite good use of uh choral music as well i mean it's not kind of maudlin stuff but you get these sort of a cappella choral pieces that punctuate some of the action and some of the quieter moments and it's quite an effective use of the soundtrack, even though it isn't kind of the usual shark thing where there's like big blasts of music. The fact that it's more dialed down and it's lower key just makes it even worse and more heartbreaking. And the fact that there's a really long fade out at the end where you kind of think, is there going to be something else? Are we going to find out that maybe she made it despite the fact that it looks like she's given up and she's gone under the water and the, and it just fades and fades and fades. Nope, end of the movie she's dead. Yeah and then we also get some credits uh, scenes as well where we get to see a shark being cut open and to reveal in his stomach it contains the camera that they took with them to film and uh, sort of document all the, the sea life that they were encountering so that's uh, quite a uh, graphic scene. So if you're not comfortable seeing any sort of uh, animal, it's not animal cruelty as such. The shark is already dead, but it, it's very realistic. It is, yeah. And it's a very cruel ending to the characters that they just pull this camera out of it and then they just flippantly say, oh, I wonder if it works. But you know where the camera's been for the previous 75 minutes. So it's a really brutal ending. Even when you get to the credits, it's not letting you off the hook. I do wish we could chat longer. And that's it for episode 73 of the HD Movie Podcast. As always, thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed this episode and would like to uh, keep updated with all our upcoming episodes and check out previous episodes, please follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at HD Movie Podcast. Summer of Sharks continues next episode. And it seems to be our want this time that we're getting third movies in series this time out we've done jaws 3 we've done sharknado 3 but next time we're jumping straight to the third movie in a series we're going to be looking at shark attack 3 colon megalodon now if you haven't seen the previous two shark attack films that's okay you can go ahead and watch this one it has john barrowman in it and sharks Check it out next week and you'll find out what we think of that one. Until then, stay safe, everybody. We'll see you soon. The HD Movie Podcast is presented by Hayley Alice Roberts and Darren Gaskell. Its music is written and performed by Mitch Bay. You can find the episodes on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Samsung Podcasts, Amazon Music, Podchaser, TuneIn, iHeartRadio, Player FM, Listen Notes and Podbean.